Happy New Year, church. Yeah. Some of us may, um, particularly in our nation, uh, feel a little bit heavy in light of the things going on in our nation. Um, But if we were to even look broader than just our nation, if we were to look at the world news, there are things going on all of the time. This is vivid and it's in our face and it's on our back doorstep. Therefore, yes, it ought to be on our hearts. And it's good that as a community we want to pray. But when we think about our call to be partnered with God in driving back darkness, in driving back sin, in renewing the face of the earth, that journey begins even closer than we think, not just on our doorstep, but in our very hearts. So I ask you, church, do you have a picture or sense of how you want to grow this year? Because that's the place where God's going to shine his light, in your hearts and in mine. God wants to start by driving back the darkness in our hearts individually and in this community. He wants to drive back all darkness. So do you have a picture or sense of how you want to grow this year? Are there things that need to be laid down? Are there things that need to be taken up? Our calling is a great one indeed. We are called to live as Jesus did. The verse that's just before our reading today, 1 John 2.6, just before our reading began, says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That doesn't mean you should become a carpenter, then leave your vocation, gather some disciples around you, begin a preaching ministry, teaching and healing, and then die on a cross. No, that was Jesus' life. What does it mean to live as Jesus lived? Jesus lived as one in the will of God. You and I are called to live in the will of God. You have a particular calling that is particular to you. In some weeks' time, Vivian will be ordained. Uh, Her sense of calling has led her to seek ordination in the church. It is a role of great significance and great honour. Is it any less significant than your calling? Is there less honour in the place that God has called you to? Each of us are called to lay ourselves before God that he may continue to drive out the darkness, that we may be all that he has called us to be, that we may be the very will of God, driving back darkness beyond these walls and into the communities we find ourselves in. There were two thoughts that struck me from Andrew as he began. um, Oh, Andrew, by the way, is on annual leave, if anyone's wondering. Um, I had a few questions. That was going to be one of my notices. Uh, They'll be back next Sunday. Uh, Two things that struck me as Andrew was introducing um, the first letter of John last week. um, I think he was ending on, he was asking us to invite God's light into our decisions for a new year. 
that as we think about what we'll be doing this year, to invite God's light to shine into that. And the second thing that struck me was he said we're exploring what it means that God is love. As we look at this letter, God is love. And at least one of the ways that was coming through in the reading last week was that one of the ways that God is love is that he has appeared in the person of Jesus to drive back darkness, to drive out darkness. Um, in, in another part of John's letter, it says that Jesus appeared uh, to destroy the works of the devil, to drive back darkness. And this work begins in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in this community, in this family. The first letter of John addresses believers, assuring them of their right standing with God and encouraging them to continue on in this way. I think it has encouragement for us as well, as they were called to be people of light. How might we be encouraged to continue on moving more into the will of God? Well, in John's first letter, um, let me again recap some of the things that Andrew shared with us um, last week. So the first letter of John, we believe, is written by the Apostle John, the one called the Beloved Disciple, one of the twelve Um, John founded some churches in Ephesus and we believe he's writing to one of those churches. Um, And he's seeking to assure these believers. This letter is a letter of assurance. Why is he assuring them? What is he assuring them of? Well, he's writing in response to the fact that false prophets and their followers have just left the church. And in doing so, this brings into question for those that remain... uh, it brings into question the, what is considered orthodoxy for them, what has been considered right beliefs and right practices. So these other people have left and people are going, oh. And so he writes to assure them that they are holding on to the message that they've had from the beginning, which is the true message. And so he writes to assure them. He also addresses Gnostic and Docetic false teaching. Andrew introduced those words last week. And again, don't worry about the words. The ideas behind them, Gnosticism, comes from the word gnosis, knowledge. So there was this idea that um, uh, special knowledge is almost required, that, it's, it, that our salvation is worked out through special knowledge, almost like there were levels at which you could reach through this special knowledge. In some ways, that still is pervasive in some churches, that there's almost like a um, levelling of, you know, whether you're a really mature Christian or not a mature Christian, and, and what that looks like sometimes is about whether you've got this special teaching or special knowledge. And then um, there's also dualism in the idea of Gnostic teaching. That is that the spiritual world is separate from the physical world and the spiritual world is the real world. It's pure and holy and right and good and the material world is where evil exists and sin and, and, and so this sometimes played out in two different ways, this dualism. Either people became very rigorous in their disciplines and, and you know, the body is evil, we must sharpen it and, uh, or it went the other way and people became really lax. It doesn't matter what I do with my body, I'm spiritually pure and it doesn't matter how I behave or what I do. And so this dualistic picture. And again, we might think, oh, we're not anywhere in that. But, but actually, the constant question of asking ourselves, how does the gospel impact my life? 
How does the gospel change how I am as a father, as a husband, as a teacher, as a neighbour, wherever it is we find ourselves, how does the gospel affect us? How is it played out in our lives? And the docetic view came out of Gnosticism and that was a very specific idea that Jesus had only appeared to be human because God, who is pure, wouldn't taint himself by taking on human flesh, so he just appeared to be human. And so these were some of the false teachings that were going on that uh, John addresses. And he addresses it by emphasising the incarnation. And so as you listen to the letter, you keep hearing, he keeps emphasising the incarnation, that God became human in Jesus. He emphasises love for one another, that if Jesus laid down his life for us, ought we too to lay down our lives for one another? So this was very key in the community. And again, these were the things that were not uh, being practised or believed upon by those that have left the community. And then also living in response to the gospel. And by that I mean a turning away from sin and a seeking to live more and more in the will of God. And so this is uh, just an introduction into the letter of some of the things you can be looking for. But how does John go about reassuring these believers? Well, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. How's that for a contradiction? Uh, can you hear it? Um, I'm not writing you a new command, but no one. Uh, yet I am writing you a new command. Well, this is John actually trying to make sure he doesn't sound like these Gnostic people with some new novel ideas. So I'm not writing you a new command. Actually, it's an old one, one that you've already heard before. It's the old command, or this old command is the message you have heard. And, um, and then when he says, yet I am writing you a new command, I think he's actually making a reference to the fact that Jesus himself, when he spoke to his disciples, says, I am giving you a new command. And so in a sense, this new command, when Jesus spoke it as such, is actually an old command to them because they've had it from the beginning, from the first time they received the gospel. And so I think he's just making reference to the way that Jesus spoke about it as a new command. So what was the old command? Well, it's explained there. It says, this old command is the message you have heard. What was the message they heard? They heard the gospel. They heard the good news of Jesus. And very closely linked to the gospel that they received was the idea of love for one another. That what is the good news? Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's what we should do so for one another. And so this is what um, John is saying, that you, this is the message you've heard. And then he says, yet I write you a new command, and he's just saying the same thing, really. Um, and by saying that this new command, um, sorry, the new command is the command that Jesus gave. And so in John uh, 13, 34, in John's gospel, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so this actually was, for them, not new, but it was new as Jesus spoke it. And in what way is this command new? Surely they knew that they were to love one another, to love neighbours. 
Surely they had that message. And even in Jesus' own teaching, he talked about loving your enemies. How is this command new and different? I think it's new in two ways. One is Jesus makes his love now the standard of love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not love your neighbour as yourself, that is, you make yourself the standard. If, if I was a drug addict um, and I love taking drugs, then the way to love my fellow drug addicts is to share my drugs with them. Now, you and I might say, well, that's not love, but actually that, that would be an understanding of love in, in terms of doing something that one believes is right for oneself. But we're not the standard. Jesus makes himself the standard. And so we ask ourselves, how has Jesus loved us? By laying down his life for us. So it's new in that way, but it's also new in another way, in that this command is given to them just after Judas departs to go betray Jesus. Jesus then starts sharing some things in John's Gospel with the 11 who are there. And so when he gives them this command... He's talking to the New Covenant community. He's talking to the beginning of the church and he's telling them to love one another. He's telling them to have a particular love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So much so that they they come up with a, a a new word in the New Testament to describe this so that it's distinguished from the other loves. So this is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And this is a love for brothers, a love for sisters, a special love for the church. And so he's given them this new command. And what's interesting is that he says that it's truth. The truth of this new command is seen in Jesus, this kind of love, and it's seen in, the, in those whom he's speaking to, these believers. And so he sees this playing out, and so he's assuring them that they indeed have the gospel as opposed to those that have left, where there is not a love for one another. And so uh, just before I move on to the end part of our reading, it then goes on to make some interesting comments. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Um, And that is the idea of how can we talk about having the gospel, having the light, having Jesus, and yet they're hating our brothers and sisters. Um, This is like still living in the darkness. I'm going to leave this section because I'm going to bring it up next week um, because next week, again, it talks about love for one another. But he continues to reassure the believers as he comes to the end of this passage and it almost moves into a bit of a poetical style and if you were looking at it in your Bibles, it almost it changes uh, even how it's written. A bit poetic-like. It, um, sorry. Oops. There we go. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know uh, the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. 
Sometimes people have thought that the ideas of children, fathers, young men, are different ways of talking about people's maturity level in the community, that the children are infants in the faith and uh, the, the young men are more mature and then the fathers are more mature yet. Um, I, th I think that's not quite right. And so the word children has already been used in the letter. It's the way John speaks affectionately towards this community. They are all his children. He has like been a father to them. And so every time the word children is spoke, uh, spoken in this section, it's referring to all the believers at once. And then when it says fathers, when you look at the um, New Testament usage of that word, it's actually just a reference to the older people. And so um, uh, one of the best examples is Timothy being told to treat older men as, their, as his father, as, their, as his fathers. And so um, this is a reference to the older members of the congregation. And so he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Um, and he repeats that again later on and says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And who is the one who is from the beginning? Who was, the be who was at the beginning of the gospel? Jesus. And sure, it has allusions to the idea of um, Jesus being at the beginning of creation. Yes, there is that. But I think it's also, um, and more pointedly, speaking about the beginning when the gospel first went out. And so as he speaks to these older members in the congregation, some of whom who are, who are in, in a sense, contemporaries of Jesus himself. And so he says to them, you know him who is from the beginning. And you can see how important this is in light of some false teachers who are claiming to know Jesus and have walked out of the church. How important this message is. There are some of you right here, right now, uh, John is saying, who know, you know him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then later he says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. At this point, he's speaking to the younger people in the congregation. And he says to them that they are strong and the word of God lives in them and that they have overcome the evil one. And how have they overcome the evil one in, partic in particular for this context? Well, it's not taking hold of these false doctrines, but taking hold of the message that they've received, which is the gospel message. It's taking hold of the command to love one another as Christ has loved them. It's taking hold of the message to separate themselves from sin, to respond to the gospel, to live a life turning away from sin and turning towards God. And in these ways, they have overcome the evil one, and in these ways, they are pushing back the darkness. If we were to put all that together, the believers have had their sins forgiven. They know the Father. They know him who is from the beginning. They know Jesus. They are strong. The word of God lives in them, and they have overcome the evil one. What does this sound like? Isn't this the gospel? Their sins are forgiven. They've been brought into an intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. They are strong. The word of God lives in them as they obey his commands and they have overcome the evil one. They are participating with God in driving back darkness. This is the gospel. This is the good news seen and expressed in the children of God. And he says all of this to them just before he's about to exhort them 
to not love the world and to seek out the will of God and to be in the will of God. And so he encourages them just before he's about to exhort them. All of us constantly are being exhorted to live up to the life that God has called us. We're encouraged by the fact that we have taken hold of the gospel. Sometimes we let go of the most foundational things. All sorts of things can be happening in the world, all sorts of things that reflect a broken world and a broken planet and broken people. All sorts of things could take hold of us. But nothing can take away the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that we're called to continually meditate upon. It's the one thing that we'll most likely forget and move on from. And yet it's the one thing that enables us to continue moving forward. Because it's our confidence. Because the good news, what is the good news? Isn't it knowing that God is love? Isn't the good news that God is love? That God so loved the world that he sent his son? It's in our knowing Sorry, lost my PowerPoint. It's in our knowing that God is love, that we have our confidence and hope for transformation. It's because I know my sins are forgiven, I can come before God and ask him to show me what I need to do this year. It's because I have a confidence that God is for me, driving out darkness, that I can come before him and face myself, face my sin, with confidence and hope for transformation. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that God is love. And as we know this, this gives us confidence as we seek to, to grow, as we seek to come before God and say, what do we need to lay down this year and what do we need to take up? Let me pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love for us, for sending your Son as one of us to redeem us. May we rejoice in this gospel, this love. May we rejoice in you, for this is our confidence and strength as we seek to grow up into you. Amen. 